Thank you, Justin. Uh, as he said, my name is Timothy, and it's an honor and privilege to share with you God's Word this morning. Um, I am going to be continuing in our series in the book of Revelation, Seven Letters to the Churches. This morning, we'll be looking at the letter to the church at Thyatira. Uh, before we dive into the text, I want to confess that one of my greatest joys in life is being a dad. I love being a father, and my kids, I have three of them, and they are growing up fast, uh, too fast, if you ask my wife. Uh, and the older they get, the more and more they are becoming sponges. Uh, they don't miss anything. They soak up everything that they see and hear. And one of the ways this is evidence is by some of the words that end up making their way into our home, if you know what I mean. Uh, recently, one of my children used a word that, let's just say, you wouldn't expect to hear out of a child's mouth. Uh, she shared it with her brother, and uh, it wasn't appropriate. So I corrected this child. I said, child, insert name here. Uh, we do not use that word in this house. And then my child rebutted with a phrase that all of us parents have heard before, but so-and-so says it. To which I responded, I don't care if so-and-so says it. He's not my child. You are my child. And whether you like it or not, there are certain things that this family does not say. And that word is one of them. But why, Daddy? She exclaimed. To which I then had to play the ultimate parent trump card because I said so. And conversation over. Brothers and sisters, this morning, our text stands as a stark reminder that we are in the family of God. And as members of God's family, the church, there are certain things that we do not do and do not say. There are certain things that we do not tolerate. And it simply doesn't matter what our city tolerates, if they tolerate such things. It doesn't matter if the government tolerates such things, and it doesn't matter if the church down the street even tolerates such things. But why? And the answer is it's the same as it was for my child, because we are children of King Jesus, and he has said so. Our text this morning is a call to intolerance, a call to intolerance. Now, as I say those words, some of you have pulled the guns out of the holster and you're ready to fire. How dare you call us to intolerance? Before you shoot me, I ask that you allow the Word of God to speak this morning. Allow the Word to speak, and at the end of that time, I, I, if you are still offended, upset, I ask that you would then address those concerns, but I want you to let God speak to us this morning, even in a topic that's very, very difficult. I'm going to ask that you now stand as we read God's Word. Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 18 to 29. This is God's Word. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As, even, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, I confess that this text is is tough. It is offensive. It is going to be difficult for many of us to swallow, and I ask that you would give us all, including myself, the grace to hear from you today, that you would speak, that you would empower me, your servant, to bring your truth to your people. God, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would give all of us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to begin by pointing out that this issue of intolerance is a huge deal. It's a huge deal to Jesus, who's the author of this letter. How do I know it's such a big deal? Look, look again with me at the text, verse 19. The way that Jesus commends this church in Thyatira, honestly, it makes me drool. I so wish Jesus would commend Christ Central Church in this way. Listen to verse 19. I know your works and your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Wow. That's awesome. Works, love, faith, service, and patient endurance. And not only that, but this church is growing in these attributes. This church is awesome, right? If only we could be like this church. What could they possibly need? And yet what our text reveals is that in spite of all of these unbelievably admirable traits, their lack of intolerance, of gross misconduct, is repugnant to Christ. Their tolerance seems, in the eyes of Jesus, to overshadow all of the good and noble attributes of this church. So church, let us not take lightly Christ's call to intolerance, because it is clearly no small matter to him. This morning, I want to make three simple points. 
First, why must we, the church, be intolerant? Second, what must we be intolerant of? And third, what must we tolerate? These are the three things that I want to look at. Why we must be intolerant, what must we be intolerant of, and what must we tolerate? Let's begin. Point one, why must we, the church, be intolerant? Now, I think this goes without saying, but I've learned to never assume such things. We must be mindful that this letter is written to the church, not to society. Jesus is calling the church to be intolerant. More on that in the next point, but I just want to begin by making sure that that's clear. This is a family powwow. Jesus is talking to his own people, his flock. And before we unpack our motivation for intolerance, I want to begin by drawing attention to why this text is so hard for those of us who are living in Durham, North Carolina in 2016. And what I'm about to say is not novel. It's actually already even been said in this sermon series, but I want to say it again. Church, we need to be reminded that we live in a culture that heralds tolerance as a virtue, maybe the highest virtue, and scorns, this culture scorns intolerance as a vice, possibly the most reprehensible vice. Truth and our society has become entirely subjective. To find truth, one must look inside oneself. And therefore, for anyone to draw a line in the sand on any issue at all is offensive, it's inappropriate, it's ignorant, and it's even considered wrong. Now, the irony of a society that declares truth to be relative to say that something is wrong is interesting. I'm not going to delve too much into that, but worth noting. But let's just suffice to say that we live in a society that declares that intolerance of any form is wrong. So in light of that, why in the world should we as Christians, we as the church, oppose the tide of culture and cling to some form of intolerance? Why would we commit interpersonal suicide, if you will? Look again with me at verse 20. I have this against you, says Jesus, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is seducing and teaching who? My servants. Brothers and sisters, we are intolerant of certain things purely because we are his. We belong to Jesus. A necessary defining characteristic of a Christian is that we have willingly submitted ourselves as a servant to Jesus. We have given him complete authority over our lives. You cannot legitimately be a Christian and not submit yourself to the absolute truth of Jesus. If you refuse to do so, you are not a Christian. Let's raise this up a notch to hopefully make it more clear. Because we belong to Jesus, he has the authority to declare truth in our life. In a society that there is no truth, we as Christians by our very nature must subject ourselves to his truth. That's who we are. And yet, as Christians, we voluntarily submit to his authority, and we do it because we know that he has our best interest in mind. 
We know that he longs to, do, to exercise his authority in a way that benefits us, that prospers us, and we know this because God's word tells us this. Look again, look now, I want to share with you the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 6. This is so important that we get this. Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you are bought with a price. So glorify your God in your body. Brothers and sisters, we we need to be reminded of what that price is. We belong to Jesus because he has poured out his blood on our behalf. He purchased us. He willingly gave himself for us. So when we as Christians submit to his authority, we can know that this is not some power-hungry God who's trying to exert his power over us and to be the ultimate killjoy, but we know that when Jesus exercises his authority, he's doing it out of love and grace coming from a man who gave his life for us. And so we begin to settle into that, much like my own daughter settles into my authority because I'm her dad and I love her and I care for her. We as Christians must recognize that we have been purchased by Jesus Christ, that we are in his family now. We belong to him. And because of that, he has the authority to say, we don't do that in this family. That's not who we are. And that's Jesus' message here to the church in Thyatira. He's saying, that's not who we are. We cannot tolerate this kind of behavior. And that's the same message for us, Christ Central Church. We are servants of Christ, and we must be wholeheartedly in submission to Christ. We must be recognizing that because we have been purchased by his blood, he has the authority to speak truth into our lives. Which leads us to our second point, and this is where we want to be very clear. What is it that we must be intolerant of? Christ is calling us to intolerance, but what is it that we must be intolerant of? And I want to argue that the church has missed this point time and time again. As we dive into this, I want to present before you a little of the context of what is going on in this text. So what you see here is what made this city, Thyatira, unique is that it was centered around trade guilds. And therefore, in order to be successful in business, one was required to be a part of the guild, kind of like a union. But what's so bad about that? What's the problem? Well, the problem was is that these guilds were rooted in pagan worship. Each guild has its own patron deity, and at the beginning of the meetings, they would offer sacrifices to said deity. And then, shortly following the sacrifice, they would have a great feast where they would eat these foods that had been sacrificed to some pagan god. Not only that, but as the meetings would go on, they would often diverge into full-on pagan worship. And full-on pagan worship at this time in this city would include pervasive drunkenness, and out-of-control, unbridled sexual immorality. And so now you see this ethical dilemma that is presented with the Christians here in Thyatira. In order for them to be successful in business, they needed to be a part of the guild, but the guild was practicing things that were not appropriate for a Christian. They didn't jive with the Christian way of life. 
And so now you can see this pressure that they would have been feeling, much like the pressure we feel often here in Durham, to, to be tolerant because their livelihood depended upon it. And so it's based on that context that I want to begin to unpack what exactly we are called to be intolerant of. And I want to be crystal clear here because if we get this wrong, we can do a lot of damage. Uh, we can do a lot of damage in this room and in our city. So what is it that we must be intolerant of? Listen closely. We must be intolerant of that which God is intolerant of in the lives of believers. Let's say that again. We must be intolerant of that which God is intolerant of in the lives of believers. There's two parts of that explanation, and I want to unpack both of them. First, we must be intolerant of that which God is intolerant of. As we read the text, what is glaringly missing is Jesus' defense of the moral standards that he requires of his people. He doesn't explain why Jezebel is doing something that's wrong. He doesn't argue against her behavior. Why? Why does Jesus refuse to explain himself? Now, one might assume that Jesus is appealing to the people's conscience. They knew it was wrong, and that's why he didn't speak up. But I don't think that's why he's silent here. The reason that Jesus is silent here is because he's quoting something that's already happened. He's quoting the Jerusalem Council that happened in Acts 15. Listen here to these words from Acts. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. The reason that Jesus doesn't go into great detail of explaining why what Jezebel was doing was wrong is because God had already spoken on this matter. He had already made it clear that those behaviors were not okay. Brothers and sisters, we live in a different era than the apostles. We live in an era now where God has already spoken authoritatively, and we have God's authoritative word sitting in your lap. What a privilege that we have as Christians that we know what God condones and what he does not condone, what he tolerates and what he's intolerant of. And so as Christians, we must stand in submission to God's revealed word. We must be intolerant of that which God has declared to us in his word. It's this book that stands over what the culture says, what our heart says, what our friends say. This is our source of truth that we must be in submission to. Brothers and sisters, we must search this book. We must mine the word of God to know what it is that God loves and what it is that God hates. More on that in a second. Secondly, we must be intolerant of those things only in the lives of believers. This is where the church has gotten it wrong time and time again. Remember, as we look about this context, the main problem in Thyatira is that these guilds are in bed with the pagan gods. So they're causing all this problem. However, nowhere in the text does Jesus say anything about the guilds. He doesn't address the real bad guys, right? He has absolutely no expectation of morality within the culture. He has no expectation of morality within the culture. Jesus' call to intolerance is entirely an in-house issue. Jesus' harsh condemnation of Jezebel stems from the fact that she's one of us. 
She's part of the family. And not only that, but she's seducing relatives. She's seducing kinfolks. And Jesus' message is loud and clear here. Nobody messes with my children and gets away with it. That's, the, that's, that's Jesus' heart. And so, brothers and sisters, the application is massively important for us. We as Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, you have been called to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. That must be true of you. We must fight for that in order to maintain the purity and sanctity of the bride of Christ, the church. That is the kind of intolerance that God has called us to. So let's make this practical. What does that mean for us here at Christ Central? I think there's three modes of application that we need to look at. There's an organizational application, there's a personal application, and there's a communal application. This is how we apply this to our lives. If you're a Christian, this is the application that you need to embrace. First, organizationally. Here at Christ Central, we practice discipline for our membership. This includes Daniel and myself. We're not above the law. And for those of you who have agreed to submit to the authority of this church, to join this church, the church has agreed to hold you accountable, to care for you in that way, to guard against gross misconduct in your life. What does that mean? So if Jezebel ever joined this church, she and her followers would be disciplined. She would be disciplined in order to maintain the purity of the church. What do I mean by discipline? Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. And then in verse 22, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into tribulation unless they repent of her works. What is discipline? What is discipline here at Christ Central Church? It's not a public shaming or ridiculing, but it's a gracious and loving call to repentance. That's what that looks like for us as a church. A summons to once again, once again love what God loves and hate what God hates. So we as a church organizationally fight for the purity of this church with intolerance to unrepentant sin. What about personally? How does this apply personally? When we read a text like this, we need to ask ourselves, all of us, in what ways are we Jezebel? In what ways are we the one who is prospering or seducing others to immorality? In what ways is that stuff, is that sin creeping into our lives? It's no accident here that Jesus is described in verse 18 as the one who sees. He has eyes like a flame of fire. And in verse 23, he's the one who searches the mind and heart. You see, what's interesting about this text is that the sins of Jezebel would have been happening in secret, if you will, behind closed doors. Nobody really knew exactly what was going on in the guild. Uh, You can assume, but they wouldn't have known for sure what Jezebel and her friends were up to. But Jesus is reminding Jezebel and reminding her followers that he sees. He has eyes like flames of fire. He judges and searches the mind and heart. He sees and knows. We can't hide from him. But what are these secret sins that the people are hiding? Sexual immorality and idol worship. Brothers and sisters, statistics would argue that many in, a ro- in this room are tolerating gross sexual immorality in their life behind closed doors. Again, I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to those of you who call yourself 
Christians. Whether that be regular pornography use, whether that be sex outside of wedlock, the data would argue that we are not immune to these things as a church family. I hope and pray that the data is wrong. I hope it's not true. But if it is true, if, if any of you are walking in those things, you need to be reminded once again that you belong to Jesus, that he bought you with a price, he purchased you with his blood, and he longs to exercise that authority over you to protect you. He wants to care for you and, and love you and draw you to himself. So I pray that if that's you, if you are walking in sexual immorality, that you would hear these words again, unless they repent that you would hear Christ inviting you to repentance. And I challenge you to walk in that, to repent of the ways that you are rejecting Christ's authority and return to him and receive his grace. And I invite you, if you need to, to invite others into that process with you. None of that is easy, but it's what we're called to as Christians. Lastly, I think there's a communal application here beyond what the church is doing institutionally and what's going on in your own heart, as brothers and sisters, we need to be calling one another to intolerance of the things that God hates. I distinctly remember when I was in seminary and a friend called me out because I was borrowing someone else's Time Warner cable account so that I could watch sports. We didn't have cable at that time. And I remember this friend sitting me down and said, Timothy, you are not borrowing, you are stealing. And he called me to greater holiness. He called me to be intolerant of that which God hates. When's the last time somebody did that in your life? When's the last time somebody called you to a greater intolerance of that which God hates? When's the last time you did that for a brother or sister? When you saw some sin in their life that they were walking in and you loved them enough to call them to greater holiness? Brothers and sisters, we have to be doing that for one another. God has called us to do that. So Christ's point is clear here. We must be intolerant of that which God is intolerant of. It is revealed to us in his word and we must be intolerant of such things only in the lives of of believers, of fellow Christians. Which leads us to our third and final point, what must we tolerate? It's so important in a text such as this that we guard against swinging the pendulum too far. We as Christians have a tendency to do that. It would be very easy for us to become overly intolerant after hearing what Jesus says here. So for the sake of balance, the text demands that we look now at the things that we must, in fact, tolerate. Two things that we must tolerate, very simple, everything else and outsiders. Everything else and outsiders. What do I mean when I say everything else? If you remember from the scriptures, the group that Jesus had the most, most issue with in the scriptures was the Pharisees. And one of the reasons that Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees is because they had this tendency to add to the Word of God. They, they began to heap extra rules and laws upon God's people. For example, God had ordained that one should not work on the Sabbath. However, the Pharisees took this command and they added to it and they said, there's only so many steps that you can take on the Sabbath. And 
One was, not, was only allowed to write so many letters on the Sabbath. They were adding to the Word of God, adding to the law that God had laid before, him, before them. The point is that within Christ's call to intolerance, that intolerance must be kept in check by the Word of God. We do not have the right and the privilege to create our own laws. Look at verse 24 where Jesus brings this to the forefront. He says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, I do not lay on any other burden. Only hold fast what you have till I come. That language, language may sound familiar. Jesus is once again quoting Acts 15, where he said, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. You see, the point that Jesus is making here is that we should be intolerant of nothing more and nothing less than the revealed Word of God. Let me try to make this plain for you. What are some present-day examples of us as Christians laying on greater burdens when it comes to God's call to intolerance? We all do these. I just want to share a few. The Bible is clear that we should be spending time regularly in God's Word. But we are adding to God's word when we demand that everyone daily spend time in God's word and and argue that God is not pleased with us unless we do so. God is clear in the word that we should love and care for the poor. And yet we lay greater burdens when we demand that Christians live in impoverished neighborhoods and and drive a beat-up old car. The Bible is clear that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And yet we lay on greater burdens when we demand that everyone kiss dating goodbye. The list goes on and on. There's so many ways that we can add to the Word of God. The Bible declares that drunkenness is wrong. Yet we lay on greater burdens when we are intolerant of alcohol altogether. We've all experienced ways where we, in an attempt to be honoring to God, miss the mark and add to the Word of God. We can only be intolerant of that by which God has, in his authoritative word, told us to be intolerant. And lastly, we need to be tolerant of outsiders. This is where I want to finish, because this is what's so important that we understand. I've made this point already, but I want to make sure that we walk away with this. Jesus is writing to the church and not to the culture. His righteous requirements are for those who are his, We commit a grave theological error when we demand Christian morality of those who are not Christians. Brothers and sisters, it is not our job to dictate morality on those who do not call themselves Christians. Much in the same way that it's not my job to tell others how to raise their kids or drive their car or run their business. Christ has not called us to that. Intolerance of non-Christians is a refusal to embrace and their, and their refusal to embrace Christian morals is not only wrong, but it's ignorant. Nowhere does the Bible ever assume that non-Christians will or even should embrace the same morals as Christians. We don't see that in the Scriptures. The Bible actually says the opposite. We should expect non-Christians to have different values, different morals, different behavior. As Christians, this text demands that we be incredibly tolerant 
of the morality of non-Christians, and at the same time incredibly intolerant of the morality of one another. What better example of this than the life of Jesus? He spent so much of his life being with, spending time with, enjoying those who society said were despicable, those who the society did not tolerate. And yet at the same time, he was constantly graciously calling his own, his disciples, to greater and greater holiness, greater and greater character, greater and greater servitude. May Jesus' life be our model an inclusiveness and welcoming spirit that demands nothing of those who are not in the family. At the same time, a gracious challenge to one another to live in submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, church. It's not that we are silent to the culture. We certainly have a message to share with the world around us on issues of morality. But hear me, our message comes through the medium of our lives being lived out differently. We reveal a better way, God's way, not from condemning the culture around us, but through being faithfully present within the culture. A city on a hill, a light in the darkness, not a bomb in an abortion clinic. Amen? That is our call. I hope and pray that all of you who are here who are not followers of Christ feel a profound sense of freedom to be who you are, that you don't have to put on airs, you don't have to be a certain way. I hope that you always feel welcome here, and I hope that our church cultivates an environment of welcomeness and grace and tolerance, because that's what Christ has called us to. Brothers and sisters, I lay before you the gospel dance, a dance that requires two steps, a step of intolerance for us, the people of God, for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters, and a step of tolerance toward the watching world around us. I shared with you at the beginning of my child's new favorite word. I want to point out that my child has since stopped using this word, not because I punished her, but because on some level she likes the idea of being an insider in my family that she is enjoying the love and the grace that she has experienced because she's my daughter, because she is mine. And it's that love and grace and pursuit of her that motivates her to want to toe the family line, to want to be in accord with what we as a family love and what we as a family hate. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are members of the family of God, be reminded this morning that you have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ has paid for your life with his blood. You didn't earn it. It was freely given to you, and now you belong to Jesus. And may his love and pursuit of you be the thing that motivates you to willingly submit to his his authority and to fight to love what he loves and hate what he hates. May that be the thing that drives us to a righteous intolerance of sin in our own lives and in our community and a grace-saturated tolerance of those around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I confess that what we're talking about is not easy. It's so hard and, and our society doesn't like this word intolerance and rejects the idea of any sort of absolute truth, but you have said that your word is true, 
and that you are Lord and King and that we are called to submit to your authority. And we willingly do that because we know that you love us and you have your, our best interests in mind. And Father, I pray that today that you would expose the ways that we are not submitting to your authority. The things that we are tolerating in our lives and in our community that are not okay with you. And that you would remind us that we are yours and show us what it looks like to be a part of your family. At the same time, God, I pray that we would press out into this community with radical tolerance, never assuming Christian morals on anyone who does not claim the name of Christ. And that the city that we live in would experience that love and grace being poured out. And that they would always feel welcome and accepted. And they would see that our lives are different. Not different in that we judge, but different that we live in submission to your authority. May that be true of us, Christ Central Church. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.